Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm delighted to be joined today, pushing through. I'm delighted to be joined today by Seb Stafford-Bloor. Hey, Joe Devine. JJ Ball the Bullers. Hello. Okay, fine. Now listen, there's loads to get through today. Argentina, Australia, USA, the Netherlands. We're going to talk about those. There's a few other bits as well. And also we're going to be joined by Chris Camrani, uh, probably for the last time, because I guess we only ever invite him on to talk about the US, although he seems to be good at talking about other things as well. Yeah. Yeah, 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 well, yeah, there we absolutely. go. England play Senegal tomorrow. <clears throat> Probably talk about that a little bit too. And of course, points are bad later. Have you had a nice day, JJ? I had a lovely, wonderful day. Yeah? Yes. What did we do? We had Nando's. We did have Nando's. I had my first ever Nando's. Yeah, I really like yeah. Nando's a lot. Yeah, I thought it was fine. This is not a paid section of the show. Yeah. If it was, I wouldn't have said it was fine. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's but do you know what's anything. better than fine? Is it The Athletic? It's The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, where you can find such wonderful things as Seb Stafford, what have you been reading recently? Hey, so this morning I read Felipe Cardenas' piece about, uh, about Uruguay. So he went down to the Uruguayan hotel after their exit uh, yesterday against Ghana and spoke to a couple of the Uruguayan players about what happened after the game. So there was... Um, there was some shenanigans. The VIR, VIR, VAR monitor got kicked over. Uh, a FIFA official seemed to get elbowed in the head at yeah, some I'm, point. Yeah, I missed all of this. We didn't talk about it last night. No, not really, because it kind of emerged after the fact. And Felipe's done a wonderful job in recording it and talking to people. And mm. um, that is a very, very angry squad heading home okay. to Uruguay. But well worth your uh, What's your the name of the author again? Felipe Cardenas. And what's the piece called? Uh, I don't know what the title is, but okay. it's basically if you search him by author, you yeah. will come across it. You'll and, find um, it. It's the head of the uh, kind of Uruguay department in on the website. At the moment. Wow. So, yeah. Okay, cool. There we go. Uh, well, fantastic. That sounds like a really good piece yeah. to read. So visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO uh, to avail yourselves of a deal where I think you can get The Athletic for one pound a, a month for six months. Sounds yes. like a great deal, that, Joe. Lovely job. Yeah. Lovely job. But for now, I will leave you in the warm hands and the cool embrace of who else? Lionel Messi. Yes, Argentina. What's the score? Three. Three, one. Two. Did they get two. No, it was two, one. Three, two. one's the other game. Okay. It was two. The other game was three. There we two. go. Yes, Argentina two, one, Australia. Now, JJ, how did this performance, this Argentina performance, how did this compare to the others so far in the tournament? Because we were expecting them to win, I think, if we're being realistic. Um, but two, one, a little tighter than perhaps we would have thought. Well, I think uh, they've got steadily better throughout the tournament because they started off badly against Saudi Arabia. That wasn't good. And then they've had to change um, the system a couple of times with different players and get ones to work in different ways. John did a very good video on TIFO IRL, which came out this morning, mm. about some of the changes that Argentina have made over the last few games. It's uh, his contention that tactically they're the team that seems to have, seem to have changed the most. And that might be because of the, the, um, the injury to a couple of players, right? Uh, I think injuries and just getting players in different positions. Basically, they lack, they lack a lot of pace and width. They don't have any real speed or wide players. Uh, Di Maria counts as one, but you know, he's he's only good about 23% randomly sure. all the time. He's also, well, is he 35 years old? He's old. He's yeah. older, yeah. Well, younger than... <laughs> it's like that's old, but... Well, old matter. for a footballer. Football years, he's old. Uh, and so in this game, so what they've done is change it to more of like a diamond. So they're playing Messi uh, is more of a 10, but he is trying to get involved a lot more in games than he was in the first one. He's dropping quite deep to try and get on the ball and 
dictate things. And it's good because he's turns out he's amazing and is doing all these bits and pieces that are just making us watch <laughs> the, the screen going, oh, and all that sort of noises that you get. There was a moment during this game, Seb, and you said you might have been overreacting a little bit where you yeah. accused Argentina of being nothing without Messi. Yeah, I well, listen, I, I wanted Australia to win and I was a bit gutted that they didn't. Mm. And I think I took it out on... Um, Argentina. Sure. What I will say is uh, Messi was fabulous tonight and there are good parts of this team. I still think, I do think they're getting better incrementally with each game. There are just aspects of it which don't quite convince me. Like I'm not hugely convinced by Otamendi Romero as a centre-back pairing. Mm. There's um, there's some mistakes there. And I mean, we we, we kind of, we watched Lautaro Martinez's struggles in front of goal. He started the tournament as a first choice forward. He looks bereft of confidence now. Um, I think this evening, it needed that performance from Messi to get past Australia. And whilst I'm sure they they still will improve, um, it's not it's not quite what I was expecting to see mm. from a team with their record coming into the tournament. They're very all. functional, but, but I was wrong about the Messi thing. That, that's that's uh, that was that was sure, over emotional sure. nonsense. But um, yeah, they're very functional, but they're built around making the most of Messi, and he yeah. is, he is good enough to win the whole thing on his own. This is the, this is the uh, the point. It kind of makes sense to have just a really solid group of like attack dogs that can go and break things up and be really slow and they played the game was really slow but it was slow because Australia made it that way they made it uh, really boring the first half was mm. so dull just sitting a 4-4-2 showing the ball wide and then Argentina don't really have wide players the ball comes inside and they have to work it around sure enough a little moment of magic from Messi inside the box just to go past someone and put just taps it in the goal like it's a, yeah. like a putt I mean he did that he did that in was it the second game or the first game his goal was it did he score against Saudi Arabia that goal where it was it was from it was maybe one of the ones from outside the box or just inside, but it Mexico. was it was against yeah. Mexico. Yeah. It was so efficient. It was like on the floor the whole way. There was nothing flashy about it. It's it when was, he punched it, it up into the kind of just to the edge of the D and then yeah, it the was exactly yeah. the exactly the way to score that goal. It's because he's tuned in to like yeah. the the frequencies of the earth. He just knows exactly how mm. to play football and where the best thing to do and how to do it. Like he, can ex- he, can, he knows what to do, but can also execute it. Yeah. All his attributes are set to ninety nine, so it always goes. There's no. Um, like random number generators that can make him miss these things mm. it always goes in well let me ask you a question about Argent- Argentina then okay. um, lots of the other major teams at the tournament uh, we've had this conversation before have coaches uh, who play a style of football that we might now call tournament football or we might think of when we compare it to domestic football leagues a bit more um, regressive or conservative um, a bit more stodgy when we think about Argentina, we think about all of their flair attackers. We think about Lionel Messi and all of the, you know, the collection of incredible players that surrounds him. And uh, presumably, without knowing much about the team, a casual fan as I am, I would expect that they would play football with flair and with finesse and with aggression and like, you know, some of the most attractive stuff at the tournament. Am I unfairly, you know, am I, am I sort of looking for an unfair expectation, I suppose, in the same way that I wouldn't expect England with, again, lots of players who can be flashy and attacking to play because I know how Gareth Southgate plays or the same with, with France or the same with Germany, for example. Like, is the same idea of tournament football being applied to this Argentina team? Do I need to re-address my expectations? I think they looked really good in build-up to the tournament. And when I watched a lot of them in their pre-tournament research, they looked just genuinely good and no one could beat them. They had a massive, long, unbeaten run. It's like 35 games or something like that. Um and the players they have, like I'm saying, they're, when they're functional, they're not particularly amazing at any one thing. Obviously, there's Messi. Alvarez is a good kind of all-rounder, didn't even start the game. They've got players, the players they can bring on, they're not hugely quick. They, they can, they're capable of doing flashy things, but they don't tend to do it. So they kind of numb that down a little bit to make sure that they're not 
I mean, I wonder if it's tournament style football where they're trying to not give the ball away so they don't have to chase it. Mm. That could be one of the things that's, that could be a tactical decision. Uh, a Croatia type thing. Uh, I think more like the England type thing where they don't want to give the ball away or they don't want to put too many players forward because then they leave themselves open. Mm. But it, you can see the problem, the, the reverse with that is that when you're trying to break down a team like Australia who are really uh, solid and in this big block and you can't get through is then that's when you need players who can up the tempo a little bit. And it's not about just being always fast or always slow. It's about being able to change the tempo and change, like, take control of the game and move it how you want to. Mm-hmm. And that's what players like Messi can do. Very few players in the world can do it on their own. But they don't really have uh, players they can bring on to, to try something. They can't really put players who can get in behind a high line, which is probably fine because they don't really, they're not going to be against many of them. If they end up playing Brazil eventually, they get past the Netherlands and get to the final or whatever, and it's mm-hmm. Brazil. Uh, or are they in the semis? Doesn't matter. Then, then they'll have options to get in behind higher lines, so then you can see what they can really do. Uh, but it is very much like Seb sort of saying the whole thing is built around being solid, which is good in a tournament because you don't lose. The, the idea in a tournament is you set up not to lose other than to win, and then you can rely on players like Messi and Alvarez and I don't know, other ones to create something in certain times. There's nothing mm-hmm. hugely special about them, but there doesn't need to be. Julian Alvarez, uh, JJ just mentioned this, have he scored another goal? I think that's his second for the tournament so far. Um, he's emerging, isn't he? Yeah, he is. <clears throat> the trouble for Alvarez really up until this point, domestically at least, is he's arrived at Manchester City, really played quite well, but he's playing an Erling Haaland shadow and the entire conversation around Manchester City in terms of what's different this season, what they could achieve is all about Haaland's form and his goal scoring range. And Alvarez is a... I don't know if you'd really call him a number nine. Um, we were talking to Karl Anker earlier and he he came into the office to watch the game with us and he sort of compared him to a young Edson Cavani, which interested me. And if Carl says that, then I believe him. Um, but then I think you're seeing his worth because Messi, um, there's that dependence on Messi and that's there's that need for him to do things. But over the course of um, what Argentina hope is seven games in just under a month, you can't have a 35-year-old responsible for everything, mm. right? You need an Alvarez, you need someone who takes responsibility. Also, we've kind of touched on this with the Di Maria conversation earlier. Like, there's a lot of age in that that uh, Argentinian forward line. And one of the only players that can make runs behind a defence is Alvarez. Um, Papu Gomez is very much a left-to-right player. He wants to play... Um, he wants to play sort of in front of the penalty box. He wants to cut him from a wing and create. He's not, he is also in his mid thirties, so he's not going to run beyond. And Martinez, um, yeah, that, that doesn't look a very healthy situation at all. There was that miss earlier in the game. People who remember the, um, the first leg of that famous Liverpool four Barcelona game recall at the end of the first leg, the, um, the pass that was set up, that set up Usman Dembele to potentially make it 4-0 to Barcelona, that he just shanked high and wide over the bar, looking like a player that had absolutely no self-belief. And that's kind of worrying because Martinez is another guy who potentially can go beyond the, the, the last line as he did a, you know, unsuccessfully with the offside flag going up against Saudi Arabia in the first game. So if they're without him, you're going to need Alvarez because he's really the only one that can penetrate in that way. So mm. yeah, he's going to be very, very important going forward. Okay, Australia. Um, was there anything else that they could have done differently? Seb? I really don't think so, Joe. I think if I was Australian tonight, I'd be extremely proud of what my team had done across these four games. To emerge from a group which included Tunisia, France and Denmark was an achievement in itself. And I know that people will say they haven't been the most attractive side to watch, but I don't think there was another approach um, to progress. And a couple of themes that we've already touched on, but which were relevant again tonight, I thought Aaron Moy was absolutely excellent. So is Harry Suter. I thought Jackson Irvine was brilliant. 
Um, and I think the team functioned as a unit extremely well. A couple of mistakes. The Matt Ryan um, moment was unfortunate, but um, I suppose what you'd say is credit Rodrigo de Paul for, for pressing him and, and, and creating the error, forcing it. But listen, I, I think what I take from this is if you look at the impact that this run has had, I've seen pictures um, on Twitter from and video from from Australia showing fans celebrate. Also, I was listening to um, I was listening to the Totally Football Show a couple of nights ago, and they had Samantha Lewis on, who is a, a an Australian journalist who was reporting from um, I think reporting from the press box a couple of minutes after the Danish game finished. And it was it's a lovely interview if you can find it because. Um, you can really hear in uh, Samantha's commentary what it means to see that group of players do well. That's a really lovely thing. And I think the way to assess performance for teams in Australia's bracket is, right, when you when you give this kind of performance and a World Cup ends, how has it touched people? Will, for instance, um, with the next generation of, of kids who sort of emerge in Australia, okay, so most of them are going to want to be the next Tom Trebojevic or... Um, you know, a Latrell Mitchell, fine, or they want to be, you know, opening the batting during the Boxing Day test, or they want to be playing AFL. That will never probably change in Australia. At the same time, if a couple of those now want to be playing for the Socceroos at the next World Cup, that is a victory because mm. that's how you assess these things. They're not going to go and win a World Cup. Um, the style is unimportant. It's how you connect with the country that you're representing. That is actually what matters. And also, look, style points in World Cup, nonsense like how many france games have has anybody enjoyed under didier deschamps in any of the tournaments like very successful but maybe two or three have been kind of free-flowing and and shown like every player at the kind of the full extent of their ability this is a great success and um i'm gutted for them actually because I, I think it's been it's been a really welcome story in this i think we've talked about bigger issues we mentioned this quite a few times but to have these little moments um which are sporting uh it's very very important and um yeah, I every every one of those players I think comes out with their reputation enhanced. Like I, I, I think like Mitchell Duke, for instance, showing what a good target man he can be. Like Harry Suter we've spoken about a lot, but I think his his um like it, it amazes me that you can have such a serious injury, you can play I think we worked it out, one championship game in preparation for a World Cup. And you can face the caliber of opposition that Australia have done, and you come out looking like a really, really good centre half. That mm. is a huge achievement. Like, yeah. I, none of us who, those of us who are not professional athletes, which is all of us, like it's very, very hard to imagine like the recovery period and how important it is when you when you suffer like um, a, a problem like that. How important it is to get your confidence back, to get your rhythm back, to have trust in whatever you've hurt again. So a World Cup against Mbappe and Griezmann and, um, uh, well, tonight, Messi mm. and Alvarez. I mean, that's, that's, that's some pretty heroic stuff. Sure. Um, and yeah, so very, very sad for them, but extremely well done. I mean, it's just, um, it's a, a great credit to, to that group of players, what they've been able to achieve. Yeah. And I hope they're, um, hope when they go back to Australia or when um, the individual players get the chance to go back there, they're, they're treated um, accordingly. That's nice. JJ, um, Seb appears to have come to love Australia deeply. Uh, have you ever loved anything in the same way? As much as Seb loves Australia. Mm. I don't know if I have, Joe. No? I think that I've never, I think that's the most love anyone can have for, yeah. for uh, a country. Do you think, He'd enjoy a visit to Australia. 
I'd love to go and watch a, an Origin test series. Like I'm, I'm a big NRL fan. Origin, yeah. So Origin is—is um, is that the beginning of cricket or no? So um, that's a that's a, an annual test series in rugby league between uh, players who um, come from North, uh, New South Wales and Queensland, and they play each other. And oh, it's a three game series. It's I, I, it's my favourite sporting event. Why is it called Origin? Because it's state of origin. What is your state of origin, Joe? Oh, I come from New South Wales, so I'm going to play for New South Wales. Oh, yeah. Um, and I, I'm um, I'm one of those people that gets up very early to watch uh, NRL games on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, right, and right, Sunday. Right. Yeah. One of those people. <laughs> I'm one of those people. Like, uh, yeah. So um, I you would do love to watch there an extraordinary <laughs> amount of sport, don't you? I do. It is. It's it's quite interesting. You and you've married someone who's also into sport. Yes. So that you can not only maintain, but share your love of sport. Yes, indeed. Uh, with your sport partner, life cats. partner. Yeah. And now he's staying with you and you love sport even more than he does. Well, don't I just. I can't tear him away from the sport. He loves the sport. Like sometimes we'll be, I'll say, oh, you know, let's go to the office now. And he'd be like, no, I just want to watch a little bit more I table tennis. Sport, yeah. 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 Now, listen, in sad news, we've had to abandon Chris Kamrani. Uh, I did tell him. I didn't leave him. Uh, How great has Chris been during the tournament, though? He's like, great. What a, what a contribution. And we'll, we, we, are, we will get him back before uh, the end of the tournament. I want to hear his his take on the, on the US. Um, but uh, technical difficulties are what they are. So that's fine. Um, but let's talk in instead about Argentina facing the Netherlands in the next round, JJ. I asked the live chat just before we got going who they think will win. It's 61-39. Who do you think they've gone in favour of? Uh, I might guess Netherlands now. It's actually Argentina. 61% believe that Argentina will win that game. Can you see why they think that? Messi. Yeah, uh, I, I can. So the thing with Netherlands is that so like they'll, they're very clever tactically, Netherlands. We'll cover them in, in a bit when we talk about that game. Mm. Uh, and they will know the weaknesses that Argentina have. And the weaknesses are kind of obvious. They've got no wide players, like we keep saying. So you can just funnel everything through the middle and then block them. The difference that Argentina have is messy because when you've, even though you're trying to block everything through the middle, uh, he can still make things happen. Um, it has to go his way for it to work. So you can't rely on it, but it's not a bad strategy to go through that with him. Mm. Uh, and I genuinely think he is good enough to make Argentina win the World Cup on his own, basically. And you look through the team, right? So Martinez is a really good, really good goalkeeper. Uh, I think Romero is a very good centre-back. Otamendi, I know we're not entirely sure, but leader, he's a lot of experience there. And Martinez came on later on, he was decent as well. But this is your spine, so you've got Alcia Romero, not Otamendi, right? I really like Enzo Fernandez. He's a really good player. He's, he's made their build-up much, much better, dropping in the hole to mm. be able to then spread the play out and, you know, uh, make them better from the back. Fullbacks are decent enough. Acuna is a quite high-rated left-back. Plays in Spain, doesn't he? I can't remember who for Villarreal or Valencia. I think it's Valencia, maybe. Uh, I think maybe. he plays for Seville, doesn't he? Oh, I, I, well, maybe I've, I, I maybe I've got that all wrong. Anyway, I know he plays for someone in Spain. Look it up while you're doing this. Yes. And then Molina, fine. But uh, DePaul basically serves as like a uh, like a ball-winning midfielder to help Messi whenever he goes. He tends to be quite close to him and then can help win the ball back if he loses mm. it. Alvarez is a good forward. Messi's a great player. It's a solid spine. And the rest of the players are very functional. McAllister's quite a good player. DePaul, like they're just ball-winning midfielders who can play a little bit, even if DePaul was intent on giving the ball away in the last few games that they played. But I can see why people would think they'd be Argent- uh, be Argent- Netherlands because they are good. Because they're Argentina. Yeah. And they've got Messi. It's just and then you think about tournaments when teams who win it, like the best players tend to be part of... Well, actually, I went through a bunch of... Uh, like, Do you win the World Cup if you have the Ballon d'Or winner or the uh, 
what do you call them? The golden ball winner. Yeah. What it is? Yeah, yeah. Golden ball. Yeah. And uh, what actually happens is that you finish second if you have the <laughs> if you have the best player, you finish second. So like Messi was uh, golden ball when he finished second against mm. Germany. Mm. I forget all the other examples, but he always finished second. So okay. okay. The, the live chat want us to talk about about excuse me. The live chat want us to talk about Matthias De Ligt. So. Yeah. Yeah. So there was an interview, uh, well, there's a, a David Ornstein article in which um, there's some Matthias De Ligt quotes in which he talks about uh, not playing as much of a role in the Dutch team as he might have hoped under um, Louis van Gaal. And he's seemingly fine with it. He's not rocking the boat. He said, oh, well, I, I didn't really expect to. And, um, you know, it's all okay. Uh, there was nothing particularly controversial about it. But it is a strange one. I, I remember saying to JJ earlier, I, I'm not the biggest Nathan Aki fan um but i think he's played really well mm -hmm. uh virgil van dyke is virgil van dyke he's obviously going to start um i guess the kind of there's a i don't know delict did it to me and um he has after a little bit of a ropey start he's actually started to play quite well for, for for Bayern munich in the bundesliga i still see him as a kind of a project player clearly he's going to become like just an outstanding defender and mm. he's been like in that category probably since the kind of the um the run with Ajax in 2019 um but there is still a mistake in him I think um and there's something clearly that uh Van Gaal likes about the the Aki um mm -hmm. uh Van Dyke partnership okay. and and that's kind of fine and and like I don't know like I I, I don't I'm not worked up about it basically um no. I guess it's kind of the yeah it's balanced. It looks fine. I I've kind of been impressed by actually the the real story in that Dutch defence is probably the goalkeeper mm. um, because I remember thinking when we were told that he was going to make his debut in the first group game, I remember thinking that is that's a hell of an ask for a player that's never really been exposed to like really top level football, so international football, Champions League football, like games of real consequence where you have a, a massive amount of pressure, um, especially on that position. I think he's been really good. Um, mm -hmm. He's six foot eight, which really, really helps, I guess. Like that's pretty good, good quality in a goalkeeper. Um, but I think if you go back, he hasn't made many outstanding saves, but he seems to be a very kind of efficient goalkeeper. He makes the saves he's supposed to, and there's minimum fast. He's pretty good with his feet. Um, so yeah, that, that at the moment, that looks like one of the calls of the tournament by Van Gaal. Um, mm. because if that goes wrong, can you imagine the criticism, like just of like taking a goalkeeper who has nothing other than Eredivisie experience saying you're going to play in the world cup yeah. now. Um, and it seems like quite a Van Gaal thing to do. We did the, he did the Tim Krul thing, obviously mm. back in 2014 yeah. against Costa Rica. I don't um, even mean necessarily just specifically with goalkeepers. I just mean like belligerently and, and that has belligerently has negative con connotations that it shouldn't necessarily, conviction. but yeah, with conviction, making a yeah. choice that other people might not be able to recognize and not, he seems to be someone that doesn't require other people's recognition in order for him to make the choice. This is one of the things that comes up in that documentary I spoke about a couple of days ago mm. with Van Gaal, because he talks about, his reputation as being someone that is can be quite brash and um, can seem quite arrogant. The way he explains it seems to be that I have conviction when I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I have conviction in what I believe and fair enough, fair enough. He's won a lot. He's been very successful. Mm. Um, oh, I have to say, I, I really warmed to Van Gaal during that documentary. He's he's a kind of um, interesting, idiosocratic person. Um, he is a human being. He is, um, yeah, I, I do recommend people watch it. It's very, very good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, well, I've been th thrown by my boss sending me a, a message with a strange YouTube video in it. Right. Can't understand why he sent me that. Right. I just think it's a creative way of sacking me. <laughs> 
Do you think he's got sometimes some sort of interpretive dance, maybe, or like uh, he sings something? Well, it's like a two-minute-long music video. With da, 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 and it ends with "You're fired." You're fired. I hope so. Would you? Would it? Would it make you feel happier if, if JJ and I spoke? You took some time to actually watch it. No, no, I'll watch it later because I love my job so much. I'd love to do this bit even okay. before ah, I right, realise right, that, okay, that, okay. that that is the end. Yeah. But anyway, speaking of the end, let's have the end of the first part, no, and now we'll have the beginning of the first break. Ah, what a lovely break all the way through to the end. Now, let us discuss the other game that occurred a little bit earlier on today. US. A, one, three Netherlands. Now, there we go. We know it's the Netherlands that will be meeting Argentina in the quarterfinals. Um, I was thinking of asking uh, Chris what the reaction has been like in the US, but let's talk about that when we speak to him next time. And instead, JJ, I will come to you for some tactical observations on the Dutch, por favor. Mm. Mm. Uh, the Dutch clearly watched all the USA's games. I mean, all the teams have watched the other teams' games. Do you think so? Yes. Yeah. They have staff just to do that. Even I think if we've done that, I think that, yeah. the football team. If I've done that, have. they've definitely done more. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they've probably watched them a few times. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Do you know? I've always thought like it sounds glamorous to be a football analyst, doesn't it? Uh, but then basically, you lose me at like having to watch the game again, just a second time. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gone. Well, the second time is that's actually the time I get all the best stuff for sure. videos. No, I don't care. Yeah, but then after that, if you're watching it like five or six, I mean, there's too much football to watch and if you're an analyst you hate it because you'd be watching nothing but mm. football and football although and football. weirdly the ones I know are obsessed they yeah. seem to enjoy it but I think doing a, anything like I think even you know I love The Wire for example uh, and I have rewatched The Wire but I wouldn't rewatch it each episode again immediately after I'd finished watching it yeah I have done that for The Simpsons series 3 till 9 right. and The Office and It's Always Sunny immediately after finishing uh, I do them in a loop <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, that's fine. You go through. Right. That's I don't. I mean, I don't mean finishing a whole series and coming back to the beginning. I mean watching episode one, season three, and then watching that again. Well, interestingly, when I was writing my cartoon that I did mm. uh, on YouTube, um, I watched several episodes of The Simpsons over and again to to beat them out to work out where all the jokes were. So mm. basically, analysing it the same way we're a football right. game. So incredible that you've managed to turn this into a plug, isn't it? Yeah, you really are a talented professional. I'm just born to be a showman. Yeah. Now showman us how the Dutch team <laughs> all play. Right. So what my point was trying to make here was that the USA play in a very obvious, clear way, and done a video on this, which is coming up on T4YRL. It's already out. You can watch it after this when you're whatever you're doing. So what they do, I'll, and I'll show people who are watching this on the on the live stream how we, how they do it. So they have fullbacks to get high and wide, and then they they have players like Pulisic and uh, Timothy Weah who come inside the pitch, but they often start wide. Like wide right is Weah, and wide left is Pulisic. And they've got a striker. Ferreira played against Netherlands. He was rubbish. But then they've also got these midfielders, McKenney and Musa. I'll be around. And uh, they also play wide. So they get loads of um, overloads in wide areas. So you'll get McKenney often places at the widest player. Musa might be the widest player. It helps drive the ball from deep. Then you get Robinson as well on the left and Des maybe on the right. And he might underlap or overlap. He underlapped quite a lot tonight. And so then what you get is like a 3v2 in wide areas. So if you have, say, Daly Blind and Nathan Aki and De Jong might come across, it's a 3v3 with these players over on the side. And that gives you options of moving it around and being able to rotate players, and uh, that's what they do. Now, at the base of it, very important, is Tyler Adams, who plays for Leeds. Very good player, a uh, bit of a ball winner, but he's also crucial to how the USA build play and how they go through 
uh, from defence to attack through the midfield, basically. So if they're building out from the back, I don't know where the ball has gone, but imagine the ball is here. It's with Tim Ware. It's with Tim Ware. Oh, thank you very yeah, much. Yeah. There we go. Say they're playing through the, through the from the back, USA, uh, Zimmerman and Tim Ream. They can pl- pass to Adams in the middle. He might then try and carry it a bit and then distribute the ball to take USA forwards. But he has to stay at the, the base of this kind of triangle between Dest, uh, or between McKenney and Musa because he's the anchor for everything. And so what uh, the Netherlands did was mark him. So they put a man marker. They had David Klassen marking him the entire time. And then they had Memphis and Gakpo sitting just off of Riem and Zimmerman when they had the ball. So they were trying to encourage them to put the ball probably into these midfield sections so they could push up and win it really quickly and then counterattack with players like Gakpo, Memphis, Dedzard and Fries, and uh, maybe De Jong or Klassen or someone like that would join in. And that's what they were doing. And they were able to stop the USA play the way they want to. So they couldn't build the way they wanted to, which meant they couldn't get the ball through to players like Pulisic, which meant Pulisic was not at all involved in the game, couldn't get in it. And uh, and that's why USA looked so kind of, uh, what's the word? Uh, Restricted. N- null, that's not a word. <coughs> Restricted, yeah, they were the same. I don't know what I'm saying. They look a bit fearful with the ball to me. Like I, I thought once they got it kind of beyond the halfway line, it's because they had no options though. Yeah. That's the thing, because the way that the way that the Netherlands were defending or the way that their team shape was built, there was nowhere for them to go. Yeah. So they couldn't they, they couldn't just play. And it was all built to then launch themselves forward on the counter-attack. And it's well, another thing they were doing is really clever at like corners or uh, any attacks they had was they were getting someone like uh the, the last goal, right? So Robinson is marking, I think it's Gakpo at the back post. So the, the most dangerous player in that situation is Gakpo or Memphis, and they go either side. And they tie themselves to the fullback. And that means that the other side wingback can just creep up behind them and score. And so what you got in this game, well, the last goal was, I think, a pass from uh, Blind straight over to Dumfries. And he scored with basically a free shot, which is closer to the box like that. Uh, So that's one of the things we're doing. So another thing they'd clearly worked on because they identified it in the USA. Uh, What else did they do that was good? Uh, Those are are all the things they did. Mm, I felt like... The, the first two goals were really crisp, really nice bits of football. But I think you'd, you'd be pretty disappointed if you were a USA fan just because it's there are avoidable elements in all of it. Like the the failure to track in the probably in the first goal for Memphis. He doesn't really, if you watch it back now, he doesn't really break into a sprint at any point. He jogs kind of at a decent pace away from his marker. I think it's Tyler Adams. And he just walks into a position of space in the penalty box. But there's but there's reasons for that. It's because they, it's, it's again it's tactical from the Netherlands. So the reason they've done that and drawn them out is so they can have passing options, like you said. They kind of they look a bit scared in possession because they don't have any passes on. They got to do everything through lines. The only time they really got through was Adams took the ball in the half turn, turned past his marker, and managed to play it in, and then they went. And that's how they managed to get create a shot earlier on. But apart from that, they were getting lockdowns, so couldn't do anything. So when they were opened up, the USA. The ball turns over. I can't remember who wins it, but the ball turns over and then they just go. So then you get these players all rushing for Gakpo, Klassen. I think it might be Daron joins in as well and they chase forward. So what you end up having is all these players charge into the box, uh, go, just go absolutely nuts and go forward. The USA, they retreat really quickly as they get back into their shapes as fast as they can. They run back and as they're running back, they're sort of, they've had the ball for a long time, so they're a bit tired and they're jogging. Some of them are chasing back a little bit and that's when Memphis is he doesn't chase all the way he falls to the back so everyone's getting back into their position this back line is actually in the right position but these guys just aren't quick enough to get back in and that's where the goal comes from so it's more like I think maybe a bit of energy and I think even after, like, that close into the game even even that early in the game though like it just like 
I understand. It just there's something about it which looks wrong in the sense of it. It's, it happens almost in slow motion because we were watching it and you could see it opening and you could see the danger probably three or four seconds before it occurred. And there was no. It's the kind of goal you expect a side to, to maybe concede after seventy five minutes. You know when like you have been like running for an entire game or you're kind of chasing a situation. Yeah, maybe. I mean, also maybe 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 the second Dutch goal is even more disappointing because it's a it's a cross which really should be cut out or there should be a bit more pressure on the ball. Maybe that's old school thinking from me. Like when when I was learning to play football, like that was kind of the mentality. Cross coming in, someone needs to get out and block it or someone needs to put pressure on the it's cross. It's Kenny. He was on him. He was tight, tight to him, but just didn't manage to stop it. And I guess that happens sometimes. Yeah, I just guess. can't stop it. I, I, it, was maybe, more, it was more that then Blind was uh, floating again yeah, on the blind yeah. side of the last man because they did that thing. I, I think all of this... All the goals and the entire game was won tactically. This is one, an example of a game, and not there's not a lot of times when you can say a game's won tactically. It's generally to do with energy, input, uh, determination, and and then the tactics are about twenty percent of it, something like that. And skill might said it sometimes, okay. but this was all tactical. And I think like Blind being spare for the goal that was planned. They knew he'd be spare to get into score by going to the blind side of a defender. Uh, the the not running back fast enough maybe is is true, but then. They're maybe not just fast enough to get back. Maybe. Like they're they're running, but they're not lightning fast going back. And maybe they're not intense enough. Also, maybe they weren't warned about what they were going to do. Maybe what, that Depay would yeah, drop deep. Yeah, sure, maybe. sure. I am. Um, I was pretty surprised that. I mean, it's hindsight, and I talked about this a bit on Twitter. I was really surprised not to see Jordan Pifok in the US squad for this very reason. So, like Pifok, um scored quite a few goals for young boys in Switzerland last season. Moved to Union Berlin um, ahead of this year. And when Union were riding high at the top of the Bundesliga, he was kind of in, integral to that. He was, he's got a really good partnership with Geraldo Becker. He's probably one of the quickest forwards in Europe. Um, and he's kind of, he's not a prolific scorer or hasn't been so far yet in Germany, but he's as close, in my opinion, and I'm happy to be corrected on this, but he, he's as close to the US have at the moment um, to having an all-round forward, which I don't know, there's just, there's so little presence at the top of the pitch. It feels like... One of the one of the, the kind of the, the ways of um, skirting the issue of not having any options is okay. It might be a little bit reductive, but having that direct option at the top of the pitch, someone big and physical like Pifok is six foot three, and um, I've stood next to him in a mix zone. He is absolutely, you know, he is he's built and he's a skillful player. He's good in the air. He's good on. Uh, he's good with the ball at his feet too. He's like, um, I'm not trying to make him out to be a world beater, but he's a very good option in the context of what else the United States have. And I just. Um, I don't know. Um, perhaps people want to explain that omission to me because it, it was weird. And um, yeah, I, I didn't see, I haven't seen anything from it in this tournament which suggests that that was the right call. Mm. Um, and also, I I mean, do, should we talk about the US over the next four years ahead of 2026? Would I think you so. like to? No, I was going to ask you. I mean, you know, with 2026 in mind, yeah. what, what are your thoughts? Well, I like what I've seen from the US in this tournament. I think there's a lot of positives. I think they are not, um, like, they're just a good football team now and some of the kind of the snobbery and the sneering that um you know american soccer teams have experienced in the past is completely out of place uh what i will say though is there are a few holes and there are a few sort of positions which need to be stocked ahead of that so i looked at kind of i mean i went back through the kind of the world cup since 1990 and found that um the united states have scored i think 28 goals um in those tournaments and that's that's eight different tournaments but also um their top scorers um, in history are Clint Dempsey and Landon Donovan, who are both tied on 57 goals. Um, and of the two, Dempsey has a slightly better ratio of, of 0.4 of a goal per game. And 
this is what the US need. It's what a lot of other teams need. I'm not trying to say that you can just find goal scorers everywhere because a lot of teams that are looking for them, a lot of countries mm. have trouble creating that kind of player because it kind of went out of fashion. Germany are one of them. We've talked about that. Mm. Um, but if if the United States had a regular goal scorer, someone they could depend on, like because Dempsey was a great player, I don't think, I don't really think of Dempsey as a centre forward. Um, Donovan was a great player, but he was more than, he was kind of an all-round forward. He was very hardworking. He was very skillful. You could play him out wide as well. As, um, as Everton did when he was in the Premier League. Um, if they could find that player, then I think what it wouldn't necessarily um, mean that they could win this kind of game, but it would mean that mistakes made in this kind of game, like the ones that we've talked about for the first and second goal and the third, because that's not a good goal to concede either. You, you changed like, you make the margin for error a little bit broader because mm. if you've got goals, you can get away with things. Whereas this was kind of, they didn't play that badly. They just... Um, it was just a brutal exposing of like some of the inefficiencies at the back and and a little bit of naivety here and there and maybe a bit of fatigue I don't know but um, with goals you could um, you know I I, I know um, uh, single game expected goals is um, is a is a little bit of a full science but um, I think they're about two point zero seven or something today which kind of given that their their one goal came from a just a really bizarre sort of passage of play where. I, I don't even know how to describe it. The kind of the flick that sort of goes wrong, but loops up over the goalkeeper and goes in. Mm. Um, like there were more goals in this game and there were chances and they didn't take them. Whether they'd have deserved to have gone to extra time or one, I, that's not what I'm saying. But goals allow you to kind of get away with stuff, I think is, yeah. is, is what matters. And you hope that over the next four years, um, whether it's someone like Pepe, I don't know. I'm not wholly convinced by him from what I saw in the Bundesliga. Um, still very young, of course, but... Um, that's the player the US need to find. Um, and hopefully they do, because um, yeah. in 2026, based on what we've seen in this tournament, like the US should be going to that tournament as the strongest of the three host nations. Like, I don't think that's an unfair thing to say. Like, um, It's interesting. I'm just, I'm just noticing a comment in the chat uh, from Lucas, who says um, uh, this is a detail emerged in a conversation between a, a friend and Lucas. Um, one potential issue is uh, the fact that the US men's national team might, might not have that many competitive playing matches between here and 2026. That has been an issue in the past, right? Yeah, I mean, we yeah. talked about that with Canada earlier in the earlier in the tournament that it's um it's not as frequent that they get to test themselves against you know the sort of opposition that they will then come up against in the world cup it's tricky it's tricky but in terms of player development i think the key there the first step at least always is making sure that um young you know national team qualified players are having decent minutes in competitive leagues yeah i think that's fairly consistent across the board sure so that that's the key to me um I don't think they have to be in Europe either because I think MLS has changed. Um, demographically, it's changed enormously over the past sort of 10, 20 years. It's a very fast young league now. Mm. It's a producer of talent. It's a place where um, European clubs go to um, go to buy players rather than where they try to send the ones they want off the wage bill. That's not, that's a, yeah. that's kind of out of date um, assumptions. Um, but they need to have these players um, playing as often as possible. So, do you, yeah, think, do you think it'll be Behalter still in 2026? I, it's I a long know, way away, right? I wouldn't know, Joe. Like, I, I, I try and listen as much to US fans who, who, who tell me about Behalter, but um, I, I, I wouldn't know. I don't know what his inefficiencies are. I don't pretend um, beyond the research I did ahead of the tournament. I don't pay enough attention really to have an opinion there. But um, four years is a long time. Yeah. So, um, I guess we'll see. But, um, yeah. yeah, no, happy to do some reading on that front. Okay.
Okay, cool. Actually, there's a couple more comments in the chat about the the possibility of um, the United States participating in um, in the Copa America. Qatar did that, uh, didn't they, as an honorary invitee yeah. as, the, as the hosters or the winners of the Asian Cup, the hosters of the next World Cup. I mean, but that potentially could happen over the next four years, couldn't it? That would be interesting. But anyway, let's have another break now. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about England and a few other things, and we'll do points of bad. Yes, okay, lovely job. England play Senegal tomorrow, JJ. We are going to come to points of bad, but first, I want to hear those thoughts of yours. About England versus Senegal? Yeah. I think that it will be a good time Mm -hmm, for mm -hmm. all involved, Mm -hmm. particularly... The football. Right, yes, yes, yes. Uh, I don't know what I think, to be honest. I think Senegal are all quite good, but England will play that sort of game where... Well, here's my thought, right? So England will play the probably the 4-2-3-1 or 4-3-3 shape that they've been doing recently, mm-hmm. and they'll do the same thing. They don't send too many players forward, try and let Senegal take the game to them and try and pick them off or win through a penalty or a corner or something like that. Mm. Uh, not make use of all the lovely players that they have, but that's how you win tournaments. So that's mm-hmm. fine. And then Senegal are coming with a lot of, um, I don't know, there's a good feeling about them mm-hmm. going into it. Sure. And they have some decent players. Champions already this year as well, right? Yeah. African yeah. champions. I think they're year. genuinely a really good team. Yeah. And it might be... It's just a shame they're missing out on Sadio Mane, but I mean, they, you know, they've done so well, well so far. Yeah, but then they've got players like Ismail Assar has stepped up and we've talked mm-hmm. about this before in previous live streams and things. Um, Illiman and Dye, like the, the Sheffield yeah. United player, he's been, he's had a really good season. I think Your laptop sounds like it's going to take it off. Does, it does, doesn't it? I'm sorry about that. What's it's, happening um, to it? It just needs renewing. I'm Do you afraid. need it open? I don't. So maybe I'll running close it. I think he's playing Civ 6 in the background. I look at the chat in the background. I think he's playing Civ 6 in the background. That does make it do that, yeah. Anyway, so Ilman and for Sheffield United, I think he's got about eight or nine goals this season. And so what they have, no, there's no Sadio Mane, two really good wingers. You talked about Saar already, like he's a problem for England. Um, yes, you're going to take that away. Okay. Um, and Dye is someone to be really wary of as well, because he's, um, he is, he's an attacking winger. He's going to combine really well with uh, Bilal Dye, um, the centre forward that will start tomorrow. Senegal not to be taken lightly at all. Um, I know that kind of the tendency for England fans in this situation is going, oh, we win 5-0. It's not going to be a nervy, nervy, difficult game. And um, no one should get distracted by the fact that Mane isn't there because I think we talked a lot during this tournament about like um, how conservative some of the football is and how important a lot of teams see it to not concede goals. Now, Senegal take in a world-class centre-back and a world-class goalkeeper into tomorrow's game. Um, they are a very, very good team. They're African champions for a good reason. Like Mane had a good tournament, but no one should think that Mane was the only reason they became African champions. They're mm. not, that's not really fair. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I say, Alice he's is, just a star. He's a, he's a wonderful player and yeah. no doubt they'd be a lot stronger with him, but they are still a very good team. And yeah. like, that is not, um, that's not a comfortable game for England. That would be very, very close. Yeah. yeah. And what I think could happen, uh, England should win, to be clear. I think England are probably the better team and they should win. Uh-huh. But if they come into it playing the same way we've come used to watching them in, where they're slow and they're trying to take it seriously and play tournament football, and they just don't score for a long time, and suddenly Senegal gets a bit bit luck, or they just make something happen because they can, mm. and then suddenly England are chasing, I don't know if they can step up the level, I don't know if they can then take the tempo up if it's too late in the game. Well, speaking of yeah. stepping up a level, we talked about this earlier, and I can't remember if we mentioned this or not yesterday, perhaps we did, but... 
hypothetically, were England to make it to the final, uh, they they have an extraordinary <laughs> run, <laughs> we were a run the way in. which yeah. I'm sure has been replicated in previous World Cup tournaments. I cannot think of such a difficult run. Um, they play Senegal now, champions of Africa. Uh, they would play France, presumably. We assume if France beat Poland in the quarterfinals. We assume they, they would then play again, extrapolating Spain, which would be a very, very difficult game in the semifinals. And then they would play, presumably, if all favourites go through, one of Argentina or Brazil in the final. And all of those teams, with the, with the possible exception of Senegal, although I don't want to discredit them, uh, could win the whole World Cup. Yep. Very, very, much. in a very straightforward way. And we wouldn't be uh, too surprised if any of them did. Uh, now, when you compare that to England's run during the Euros last year and the, the World Cup in 2018, um, where they saw very good results and a very good finishing position, that's a bit different, isn't it? And it, this was the criticism of many of the, of the detractors of England's performances over the last four years, uh, were easy runs. It was something that happened, uh, happened, uh, was said a lot, I suppose. So if they do make it far in this tournament, I mean, they, they will have earned it. They will. It might be a conversation for about a week's time because I'm yet to be convinced. Like I, I still, from an English perspective, I still feel like France would be a bridge too far. Oh, I'm not saying they will make it far. I'm just, I'm just saying that, that, you know, hypothetically, if they did, it would have to be one of the kind of the, the most impressive knockout runs in World Cup history for them to do that. Yeah. I can't, I can't think of another team that, that had such a different, like played every one of the favorites on the way. I mean, I'm sure I'm, I'm certain that there have been, I I can't think of them off off the top of my head, but a little look earlier at the most recent World Cups. France had a fairly difficult run in 2018, but it wasn't like this. I think the France France team in 98 beat Paraguay, Italy on penalties. Mm. Luigi Di Baggio missing, hitting the bar. Cannot remember who else they played, but um, and the, I remember the, the the Brazilians had a really tough set of games against um, the Dutch, that one that went to extra time. Um, but yeah, it would be. I, I can't think of it when it's been stacked, not only just against sort of traditionally strong teams, but actual favourites of the tournament. It's mm-hmm. kind of a real time assessment of what these teams are, are mm-hmm. good at. But yeah, that would be extremely tricky. I'd have thought. Someone in the chat saying Italy two thousand and six question mark. I can't remember. Uh, we were also saying earlier that's the tournament that we remember the least about. The only that the only game I really remember is probably the win over Germany in the semi final with the um, with the Perlo pass. And the um, and the Fabio Grosso goal, yeah. you know the, the the one right at the end of extra time where he steps in, curls it into the into the far post, um, and then there was the the kind of the Del Piero clincher. So they played uh, in the group stages. They had uh, Ghana, they played the USA, the USA yeah. and the Czech Republic. Yeah. Uh, then they had Australia, uh, Ukraine, Germany, and France. So I don't. I mean, I don't think that's well. The Australia difficult. game actually in that tournament was really difficult. So um, uh, it took a very very late. Um, Italy had two red cards in this in this World Cup. Yeah, well, they they they. Um, there was a red card in four of their seven games. Yeah, that sounds Amazing. about right. Yeah. yeah, I think Daniele De Rossi got sent off in two thousand six, and then took a Francesco Totti penalty in about the hundred and fortieth minute to win it. And it was very, it was a very um, dubious penalty decision too. Um, but that was a very difficult game against Australia, and then obviously mm. you know penalties against against France. So that was a bit of a grind, but they were a very defensive team, um, Italy. Mm-hmm. Um, Fabio Cannavaro won the Ballon d'Or that year. Yes. So that's kind of a measure of what was important in that side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I'm trying to find out for some other teams, but I'm, I'm struggling a little bit. 
So I guess we should move on. Fine. Maybe we'll do that before another another. Shall podcast. we do a points of bad? Let's do a points of bad. Yes, why not? Um, oh, are we okay to have a little points of bad music in the old... Uh, let's pop the headphones on and have a listen. Points bad. They're really, really bad. Points are good. That's your goblin voice right there. Look at that. Well, there we go. Points are bad. Um, and uh, thanks again to Ben Summers for sending in that lovely version. That is very lovely, that version. Ah, bad. Now, listen, a drama occurred during this live stream. And I have to tell you, Henry Cook, TIFO employee, is a hero. Yeah? Because I had to raise him to raise his flatmate, John McKenzie, to make his predictions. I entered the live stream tonight knowing John hadn't done that yet. He hasn't failed to yet. He did, as you remember, he had his once, his first and final reminder, and I tried to give it to him straight. He didn't want, He didn't take it. He wasn't on his phone, yeah? I tried to tell the live chat to tweet him. Lots of people did. He has since complained to me that his Twitter is now a mess, but he didn't see that, yeah? I tried to uh, contact one of our friends who he plays video games with to see if he was on a Discord channel playing video games and ignoring his phone. He wasn't there. Nathan, uh, editor Nathan, did offer to make the predictions for him, but I said that would be breaking the rules, Nathan. That'd be breaking the rules, yeah? Where was he? So I text Henry, who lives in John's house. I bet he was in the bath. It's the only place he didn't take his phone. And uh, Henry screamed up the stairs, make your predictions, points are bad. Straight on the phone, yeah? No thanks or anything. I went to extreme lengths to remind him. And all he did was complain that his Twitter is a mess. (laughs) That's it. That's your final reminder, John McKenzie. No more reminders. Who would have thought of it? You'd expect it from him because, you know, sort of, uh, it's part of his personality. You know, forgetfulness is part of his personality. But John, John is, is very, you know... He's got surgical precision, John. It's a very sharp mind, John McKenzie. Yeah, surgically precise in forgetting to do his job. Yes. Right, okay. Anyway, uh, also he lost today, so he is going to go first, which is useful because he only sent me one score uh, for each game. Uh, he, uh, oh no, you go last today. So hopefully you don't take any of John's. Okay. That would be difficult, okay. wouldn't it? Because I told him he was last. So if he wasn't, then would the it penalty It would help apply? if we, if we knew sure what happened would today, because then we would understand the order. Yes, you're last. Okay. You gained six points today. You picked up three points on both games. Yeah. Because your predictions, Seb, were a 1-0 uh, to the USA and a 0-0 to Argentina, Australia. Not a good day. And that was a bad day. Yeah. Uh, JJ, John and me all picked up four points. Okay. So we're all joint together. And of course, John will go with first of us because he is he's currently but in last why place. Why am I not going first? You are going first. You said last. You're in last place. No, but I go first. Do you remember earlier when Seb had the headphones on and thought he could hear an echo, but what he could hear was but someone I, saying something outside the room. It wasn't even an echo. It wasn't even yeah. that. Was You're like, last in the game today. Yeah. You pick first as a result of that. I know, but you said pick first. Oh no. <laughs> I want to pick first. You are picking first. Okay. Okay. You are picking first. Oh, God, God. 
Can I get a taxi home with this man later? I'll give him a piece of my mind, JJ. <laughs> don't you worry about it. Now, listen, the games tomorrow, Seb Stafford Bloor, mm. begin with France-Poland. Hmm. Very, very interesting. But some of the chat think Poland, by the way. Yeah, I do not agree with them. I will say 2-0 uh, to France. You think 2-0 to France. That's fine, because John McKenzie didn't say that. Okay. Uh, John McKenzie said 3-0 to France. Mm, fine. I will be going next. And I think... 3-1. Yeah, not 31. Oh, no. 3-1 to France. JJ Bull, what do you got? 2-1 to France. 2-1 to France. Okay, fine. Now, Seb Stafford-Bloor, England-Senegal is the other game. I will take a, uh, a conservative 1-0 to England. Uh, well, I think that's probably quite a good shout, isn't it? John is just one-upping one you each time. He says 2-0 here. Okay. I am going to say 5-0. And what do you think, JJ Ball? 5-0 I just say 5-0 every time. Uh, so I'm trying to have some entertainment for myself, but then... But do I really think versus what would be... Listen, Seb Stafford-Bloor is currently still winning overall, so you do need to... Need to be bold. Go, uh, go with the 5-0 Senegal. That's what your no. heart says. It's going to be a low-scoring It's going to be a low scoring game. All right, it's going to be a low-scoring, but it'd be funny if it was England 1. Senegal are going to Sen- score a goal in this Senegal game. By the way, every, nobody hit... Yeah, you want to say that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's do it. I think, just in remember now, we aren't predicting results. We're yeah. predicting how many goals no. each team is going to Important score, right? That. Which is a different well, I'm thing. Not, I'm predicting the result. You're the only person who's predicted a goal for Senegal. Personally, I think that's terrible. I think they will score. So well, I, think I, assume done I, okay I actually think there. it'll be 1 1 and England will no penalties, but I'm going to say 2 1. I can change one. it to 1 1 if no, you I want. want. You want 2 1, you For want 2 1. Okay, fine, 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 fine. Now, the grand totals at the end of day 14. In last place is John McKenzie <laughs> on 114 points. Get back in the bath. In get second to last place, get back in the bath. In second to last place on is me on 113 points. And oh. Tied in first place. Oh, edgy. Is yeah. Seb Stafford Bloor and JJ Bull Tied. on 108 points? That's good. Yes. Well done, sir. I've stopped um, trying as much. Right. Because with anything, it's good fun at the start. It's a really weird thing to say, isn't it? Don't want to win. It's such a weird thing to say, isn't it? What happened is that I'll regret. Hold on. This is very revealing about our personalities here because I told you you were tying and Seb said, well done, sir, as if to say, well, in a solidarity, uh, you know, in a world of solidarity, world of unity, we're we're all good friends here. Congratulations. And you go, I'm actually not trying anymore. And that must be why Seb's on the same number of points as me. Because if you remember, I was winning the whole rest of the time. Results and then I was yeah. like, Well, I'm bad at this as well, so I'll just stop sure, doing it sure. properly and have yeah. some fun with it. And now, think about the impact that your words have on other people, you know. Look at look at his face, he's, he's knows, he knows every result from football since forever. I'm sad, now. He's sad be, about that. He should I'm be winning sad. this easily. First, first, first like he's the most professional of all of us. If it was if it was appropriate to cheer him up, I'd ask you to do your goblin did, impression, but it's not I did appropriate. Goblin walking yeah. around, not, to make na- not now. First, you take my computer away from me, then you take my happiness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, listen, wow. and now I take your autonomy because the podcast is over <laughs> and uh, you'll be back uh, tomorrow. Tomorrow. Is your last day before a break, I believe. Going home to see my wife. That's Hooray. right. That's right. Hooray. Uh, fine. But uh, Seb will be here tomorrow. Um, uh, JJ, uh, you're off tomorrow, but John McKenzie's back. And uh, I'll also be here. Uh, thank you today to uh, producers Craig and Jamie. And thanks to editor Nathan. Um, we'll be back uh, tomorrow. I've already said that bit. Goodbye. Goodbye.